Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for discussions on weird old movies and such. As per usual, I am your host, James Eldred, and we have a new guest today joining me from, uh, I think, L.A., right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Who's here to with me today? Uh, I am I am Drew Mackey. Uh, do, I, do, I, do I just say my name or do I explain who I am? Well, you, just, you already did half of it yet. You're doing a good job. Uh, why don't you explain who you are in case, I mean, this is one of the examples quite frequently on my podcast where the guest has a bigger podcast than me. Um, but, you know. For the people who don't know who you are, Drew, why don't you tell people who you are? Uh, thank you for the opportunity to introduce myself. I have a feeling like the stuff I do will be appealing to the people who like your show uh, because oh, yeah. I am also a person who's heavily invested in old media and basically my livelihood and my hobbies revolve around old stuff that most people do not give a shit about. Um, I host a podcast called Gayest Episode Ever that is about classic episodes of sitcoms that are uh, LGBTQ focused and... Um, this has me uh, going very deep on sitcoms that other people have not thought about in one, two, three, or four decades. Um, and my, my pitch at this point is like, if you like sitcoms, we've probably done an episode about the show that like you care very deeply about. So there's probably something in the feed for you, no matter what your feelings are about uh, most of the stuff we cover. Um, I also run a website called Thrilling Tales of Old Video Games, that uh, kind of a history deep dive into old video games. And then um, you may not actually know this, but uh, I also have a music podcast that is less known hits of the 80s called deep cuts and superficial wounds it is woefully oh, oh, oh. not oh. updated yet yeah oh uh, so, well if you need a, if you need a guest for that let me and my 3000 records come on and we'll talk uh i this this is what i was gonna um ask you at the end of the episode but yeah um i've only done one episode so far this year but uh the, the idea is like new wave italo disco uh, other like weird fringe stuff from the 80s that fits into that basic uh categorization and i figured you probably have some interesting picks for that we were talking about psycho a minute ago have you ever heard the song bates motel no who does that oh it's by the band called the hitmen i i talked about it on my episode about psycho two and three but uh if you want like a lesser known like good 80s jam uh bates motel is a good i paid 30 dollars for a cd on discogs for that song because the Hitman's album was never released on CD, but that song's on one compilation. <laughs> and it's the only way to get a digital copy of it. Uh, if you, you want are to, like, you are you, you are a true fan. I'm an idiot, but I'll, you're also <laughs> correct. But you also just recently were on Retronauts talking about uh, Mario Media, mm -hmm. um, which is why I have the Mario rap stuck in my head, so fuck you. Um, <laughs> And that's a good episode. You get, that's a Bob and, and um, Henry. I, everyone should give that a listen. And on your on guest episode ever, you I was digging through some some archives because I listen to that like once in a while. But there's a lot of podcasts. I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah, but I do love. I mean, I love anyone talking about Sanford and Son in this this millennium. So thank you. But um, you did a big episode on soap, mm -hmm. which is one of my all time favorite shows of all time, all time. And you mentioned. Doing that, that you were gonna do an episode of your other, the, uh, I guess was it what, what, what you call it a sister podcast or a spinoff podcast? What would you call a weirdest episode ever? Uh, um, a, a Patreon only bonus podcast that we're tricking people into paying for. I'm going to pay for it. Just give me a minute. Uh, but you you were gonna do one on Benson, but you backed out, and I'm angry because I want Benson content. I want to do an episode of Benson, but the episode that you know which one we're talking about is the murder cruise ship episode. And it is absolutely bonkers that Benson has an episode where people are getting stabbed to death on a cruise ship. And they're just like, this is a normal thing. And I was very excited because every episode we chose for weirdest episode ever, and it turned out to be a dream 
where like they did something mm-hmm. weird and they wrote it into non-existence by saying it was a dream. And this one really does happen in the world of the show and would have been interesting to do, but it would have been bad podcast because there are so many characters. So <laughs> most of our audience doesn't know who Benson is. So we'd have to introduce all the characters and then all these guest characters and be like, and this character is over here and this character is over here. Bad, bad, bad. It'd just be a lot of exposition and um, is not the content people are paying for. So we did a Frasier instead. Um, and that was a lot easier. On us. Uh, but I, I Benson's not okay. I like Benson the character a lot. Mm-hmm. Benson the TV show is uneven, mm-hmm. um, but it's charming for the most part, and I enjoy it. It's good, like disposable '80s comedy. Uh, that two part is such. I just watched it last week for the first time, and for those who don't know, we'll, we'll move on really quick to talk about today's movie. But it's a two part actual murder mystery. Somebody dies. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the regular Benson cast, which also people who don't know Benson might know um, the actor who plays um, Clayton. That is, I don't know how to say his name. The Rene. I, 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 I don't either. So this is one of those things I always skip. But it's like Ajur Benoit. I think Ajur Benoit is very close. Good to job. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. So I'm pretty. Yeah. Rene Ajur Benoit, who was uh, Odo. No, Odo. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Odo on Deep Space Nine. But um, the episode also has. Tab Hunter playing a drunken coach and uh, Keenan Wynn, who was the upstairs restaurant owner on Cheers, mm-hmm. and Linda Day George, mm-hmm. um, who I love. <laughs> My listeners might know her from She's in Pieces, which is a ridiculous, uh, I believe, Spanish-American slasher with her husband, Christopher George. And it's a chainsaw killer movie called Pieces. And the best part about Pieces is the tagline because Pieces has two taglines. One is you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre, which is good. <laughs> but the better one is Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. That's such a great tagline. That's such a great name for a movie. I'm glad someone realized that that's a name they should give to a slasher movie. I just wish that movie was better. So, yeah, yeah. But so, have you seen Pieces? I've seen pieces. I've seen um, most slasher movies. It's weird at this point when I find a slasher movie I have not seen. I watched one last night called Memorial Day Massacre. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Where that, sla- I have not Memorial, seen Memorial Valley Massacre, where the slasher is a caveman. Um, <laughs> That's, that, sound, that sounds absolutely dreadful. I'm sorry. It is garbage. Anyway, uh, but no, I recommend anybody, if you, if you do want to see something immensely bizarre, if you want to see Benson B. Hercule Perot. Um, watch that episode of Benson. I believe it is called. Uh, oh God, what is the name of the episode? It's the it's it's in season four. It's a two parter. If you Google Benson cruise ship murder, you'll get you'll find it. <laughs> I have to imagine uh, you won't get many hits, but you'll get those anyway. You, you, uh, we're not talking about Benson today. No, no, sadly. no, no. I have something about Benson. You know what's really oh, weird please. about Benson is that like I did a deep dive after soap into Benson and I had just watched that episode when I decided I wasn't going to cover that. And did you watch that uh, series? I bo- Maybe you didn't have access to it. I'm not sure if it's uh, accessible I'm, in Japan. I have a VPN. I got a VPN. So the Peacock series, uh, um, Poker Face with Natasha Leon. I really want to because I love her, but I haven't watched it yet. Well, then I won't spoil it, but there is a major Benson 
episode that <gasps> I felt so dumb when um, the reveal happens. And I was like, I should have seen this coming. And somehow I did not. And uh, yeah, so there's a Benson related episode. It's a very good episode. I won't tell you which one. And when um, that reveal happens, you might feel like I should have seen this coming. And I didn't. I'm so happy that somebody in, in 2023 is like, we need a Benson reference. Ryan Johnson, probably. <laughs> is that him? Ryan Johnson didn't oh. direct that episode, but he was uh, the uh, over, like the I, I guess showrunner, I believe. Okay, I did. I didn't know that about the show. Now I have to watch it even more um, because I, I loved um, uh, Russian Doll. So um, mm-hmm. it was really good. That was great. But man, I, now that I know that is a Benson reference, I'm there. My boyfriend will be very happy too. My boyfriend is getting a crash course in '80s sitcoms because he's Japanese, and he didn't, so we've watched since the lockdown, since since COVID started, we've watched all of Soap, all of Cheers, um. All of Golden Girls, most of Frasier, but we dropped off because uh, those last few seasons aren't very good. Um, Does this and, mean he didn't see the episode that has Lilith and Diane and Rita Wilson and the ghost no, of Nanny G on one in the same episode? We got to go back to it. Yeah, we because <laughs> my, my boyfriend my boyfriend loved Cheers because <clears throat> my my boyfriend's Diane and um pretty much and he also loved Frasier because my boyfriend's Niles. Um. So mm-hmm. we do have to go mm-hmm. back to it. But we, we, we got too involved in Golden Girls. That'll do that to you. Fair. Um, yeah. Anyway. But uh, enough about 80s TV. Let's talk about 70s trash uh, <laughs> cinema. Drew, you picked this movie. I don't even think it was on my list. It wasn't. I looked for it on your list. And um, this is one I've been keeping in my back pocket for a long time because it has like a certain cult status. But um, I think the cult status has sort of fallen away and it's not a movie people talk about anymore. And also, I have loved this movie since I watched it for the first time in like 2000. What, what is the movie? Switchblade Sisters. <laughs> yes. Thank you. AKA the Jezebels. Yes. So when did yeah. you first watch this movie? So um, post Kill Bill, so um, th- to explain what kind of person I am, when I saw Scream in 1996, it made me want to rent every movie that was referenced in Scream, which is why I've seen, I had like a good base of slasher movies and now I've seen most slasher movies ever. Um, then when I saw Kill Bill in theaters, I was like, oh, this is drawing on a lot of like genre cinema that I don't have experience with. I want to go on the IMDb references page and find out what all these movies are and watch them one by one. And one of them happens to be this, which also coincidentally, not coincidentally, was a movie that Quentin Tarantino loved so much that he re-released under his Rolling Thunder production label. Which and I think is great, yeah. I am so glad he did this because this is the only reason I was able to see it. And this was during the early days of Netflix when you had uh, DVDs sent to your house. So one of the first Netflix DVDs I ever got <laughs> was Switchblade Sisters and watched it with my dude bro roommates in uh, college. And they all hated it and I loved it. And I was like, there's something wrong here. And to this day, I've had terrible luck showing this movie to people and having them actually be into it. So I was very stoked that mm. you want to talk about it because I think it's great. I I, I, showed, I showed it last night to a friend and she really enjoyed it. Um, okay. So it's not just for the gays. Um, but I, I would I, I would imagine not many gay men would go, would gravitate. We'll, we'll maybe talk, talk about that later. But I discovered this. I knew of it. Because um, my my family owned a video store in the '90s, so we had all of the Quentin Tarantino Rolling Thunder's movies. Okay, uh, this and Mighty Peking Man, uh, and I think Chun King Express was, was is a quote unquote real movie. Um, mm. But I never saw it, and then much later, I started buying these um Grindhouse trailer compilations called 42nd Street Forever." One of them has the trailer for this movie in it, and the trailer is great. And it has that line. It has the great line by Lace when Dom is leaving her in the trailer. <laughs> like 
Yeah. You leave. It's going to turn out bad. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I think I Netflixed it by disc also and loved it. And then I kind of forgot about it. But then I we were, I were watching The Visitor, which is a have you, have you, have you heard of The Visitor? I have heard of The Visitor, and I've listened Ooh. to your episode about it. Specifically, I was like, I want to make sure that he doesn't like shit on Joanne Nail as an actor, and you don't. Um, so I was, I was very, I was very pleased that you, you, you seem to approve of her. So I, we watched that, and my boyfriend had not seen Switzerland Sisters because why would a middle-aged Japanese man have seen Switzerland Sisters? So um, I bought a Blu-ray for that, and we, we watched it, and I loved it again. And then my boyfriend was like. Well, I say, because he speaks with a British accent, and I'm, I'm exaggerating. He's, I say, this is Othello. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, is it? I'm an idiot. Okay, cool. So um, it made me kind of like it even more. Um, but yeah, I, I do love this movie. I, I'm surprised I didn't put it on my list. I just didn't think think to. Because um, that, that list has like 100, 120 movies on it. So, you know, some it's, slips. It's, it's, it's a great list. I'm not knocking the list. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very glad you you've been to, you've been to Nick because we get to talk about a lot of cool people and just a lot of weird shit. Uh, even before we get to the actual movie, <laughs> so but before we do anything, content warning: this movie, I don't think it's that. There is some sexual assault in it. Yeah. Um, nothing. I mean, I've covered worse. So, if you've seen other movies on my podcast that have that topic, we're not going to grow on it here probably that much. But it, it is in the movie. It happens. It's kind of problematic. Yeah. Um, but it, it is what it is, and it just wanted to get that out of the way. So anyway, moving on. So we talk about – I want to talk about the director of this really bad. Please. Uh, uh, Jack Hill. Have you seen any of his films? Um, Spider Baby. Oh, uh, fuck. <laughs> which I loved and didn't realize until much later that that was the same person who directed this because – the, the, the guy has range. And then I've oh, also yeah. seen Big Dollhouse, Big Bird Cage, uh, Foxy Brown, and Coffee. And you know, I don't know when I figured out they were all the same person. Um, it still seems weird to me in my head that one person was directed all these movies, you know? Yeah. I've seen Spider Baby. I saw Spider Baby in a, in a theater. Uh, that's a weird, that's a weird goddamn movie. <laughs> it's um, a really weird movie. That's a weird, that's a, the less you know going in, the better. Watch Spider Baby. And I've seen either the Big Dollhouse or the Big Bird Cage. I forget which one. <laughs> they, 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 they do kind of run together. And if you ask me to like pick out which memories come from which one, I couldn't do it. Because they're both, they both have Pam Greer and Sid Haid. They're both filmed in the Philippines. They're both women in prison movies. Um, they're, they're practically the same film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have seen Coffee and Foxy Brown. And those are both great movies. Yeah. Foxy Brown is usually more well-regarded. I really like Coffee because it's just more hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, not hardcore porn, but hardcore fucked up. Yeah. Uh, and I-, I really enjoy that. And I have also seen, unfortunately, his last film, Sorceress, which is a Roger Coleman production because he worked with Roger Coleman back before these movies. All those movies, were, all of those movies I mentioned were Roger Coleman films. Um and he came back to do Sorceress in 82. Sorceress is a Conan ripoff with copious boobs. If you like boobs and magic, you might like it. I, I, boobs are okay, but it's not my thing. It's not a good movie. Um, right. he, took his, he, took, he, he took his name off the movie because it was which so is, bad. Which is, which is heartbreaking because in prepping for this, I was a fan of, like, he's very much still alive, which means a great deal of time has passed since he's directed a film, and that's, that's too bad. Yeah, he has not made a movie since 1982. Yeah. Almost my entire life. 
And yeah. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> do, do you know what he's doing? <laughs> no, I Googled around trying to find yeah. any proof one way or the other. And uh, hopefully he's doing fuck all and enjoying his retirement because that's not a bad life. But um, well, at this point, yeah, at this point, yeah. But like, you know, throughout the 80s, I'm surprised he didn't do anything. Um, you know, I mean, John Waters hasn't directed a movie in a long time either. Sometimes really great directors don't, can't get the money to make a studio mm. film or even a non-studio film. That's a good point. He yeah. was trying. I read some interviews with him in the 90s when this got re-released by Quentin Tarantino. And uh, he was talking about some projects. You know, he was trying to get off the ground, but I guess none of them materialized. So maybe after that, he just gave up. Who knows? But Jack Hill is an incredibly influential director because of those movies we mentioned. And one of many, many people who, you know, graduated from the Roger Coleman, Roger Coleman Film School. Uh an actual film school with with Francis Ford Coppola, but but uh, if you like expo- exploitation cinema, I mean, if you like this podcast, you've probably seen movies he made. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, mm-hmm. and I I feel I feel like he should he should get more credit alongside a lot of his more prestigious Roger Corman cohorts, like you know Jonathan Demme, Scorsese, Coppola, because while he didn't break through to the quote unquote mainstream, he was a huge influence on American cinema. Mm-hmm. And without him, like he he helped he also he was one of the first big black playtation directors. And there's a whole discussion about, you know, whether or not that was good or bad for various different reasons. But he in his in his in in his mind, the movies he made with Pam Greer helped prove that uh black movies with a predominantly black American cast could make money. Because at the time that was not the predominant viewpoint in Hollywood. And so I think he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of the stuff he did in the seventies. Uh, and he's a good director. So all, all things, you know, not always the most like tactful director, <laughs> but I think he, he was a good director, good writer. It, yeah. Anything else to add on Jack? No, I mean, I think you know more about him than I do. And then um, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, interesting for me to hear you sum up this person who's sort of a, a, an enigma to me because I'm not even like, Having seen all the movies I've seen, I don't think I'd be able to pull out like unifying threads for all these movies necessarily, aside from like exploitation cinema, you know. I would say strong female characters. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're also exploitative and they have copious, gratuitous nudity. So, you know, he's not a paragon of feminism. <laughs> but all those movies, I mean, like Foxy Brown, especially, Jesus Christ. I mean, and Coffee. I mean, Coffee ends with her castrating somebody. Yes, while the while the while the while the music says "super bad," which I've always found hilarious. Um, what, how what bad is this? Coffee came out before Switchfoot Sisters, correct? Yes, Coffee is six seven. Coffee is seventy three. Foxy Brown is seventy four. It was supposed to be a sequel to Coffee, but they changed it during production. And then he made Swinging Chilies, which I have not seen, and then this movie. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, there's there's a character in the last third of this movie named Java, and I always wonder if like that was supposed to be like Coffee's cousin or something. <laughs> Is he one of the communists? Yeah, yeah, she's. Okay. I don't think she's the one with dreads and the beanie. I think she's just one of the ones that Marlene Clark names when she's like being like. Name, name, name. You all do this. And one of them's name is Java. And I was like, that makes sense that he would name a character that. But uh, <laughs> I really want her to be Coffee's cousin. And I had canon. She now is. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about uh, Marlene Clark in a bit. Uh, also behind the scenes, you know, this is mostly Jack Hill. The producers, you know, um, they a lot of these people left Corman. 
So this it's that's why you get so many people from, from the Corman camp. I do think it's funny that the, the screenwriter of this, who apparently barely wrote it, um, is a guy named FX Mayer, Francis Xavier Mayer, who, from what I can tell, has done nothing else ever and doesn't exist. Um, do, you, but his do, you, dro- do you think do you think he's actually a real person and not just like a pen name? Um, uh, I mean, if he's if he's a pen name, then Jack Hill. If it's if it's a bit, then Jack Hill kept the bit going ten years ago when he talked about him. Okay. So because he said he said F, he said Francis wrote it, but they didn't, they didn't like the script and they rewrote it. Maybe it was a union thing and they had to use a fake name. Who knows? But uh, the other writer is John Prizer. This is only writing credit. He did a movie I really like that I recommend if you have a strong stomach um, called Act of Vengeance, which uh, um, the other name for that is Rape Squad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's again, it's not for everybody, but it's a good one of those movies. Uh, it's a it's a it's a rape revenge movie. And uh, it also has one of the funniest mistakes I've ever seen in the movie where a mirror breaks and you can just see the entire crew. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. So so that it's it's a good movie. If you if you have it, if you can stomach that kind of movie, I recommend that one. Uh and there's a few weird people involved with this. Uh, Les Baxter did most of the music. He did the music for most of Coleman's films, um, and I and his songs are in like, like people like David Lynch use his music in movies. His music is in a few video games, but he did the music for like over a hundred movies. Um, do, do you know? Do you know why he's credited as Medusa in this? I have no idea why he's credited as Medusa. That also could be a contract thing because mm-hmm. he was Coleman's guy. And this is not right. a Corman film. Uh, I, I mean, in Savage Sisters, he's credited as Bax. Just Bax. Which, yeah, which makes more sense, at least. But um, it, it is interesting that I was trying to find out why he would have used the name Medusa to make this music. And then last night, when I was done with work, I actually watched Terrorvision because yeah. I had just watched, listened to your episode about that. And I was like, Medusa again. I'm getting a lot of Medusa today. It's a very strange thing. <laughs> Medusa is Medusa is omnipresent. Yes, I don't know why he's Medusa. I do know that the other the songs in the movie, including I think the opening, was written by two people, Richard Pearson and Chuck Day. I do not know who Richard Pearson is, but Chuck Day was a Sesson guy, and he played bass for Johnny Rivers and the Mamas and the Papas. So if you hear Secret Agent Man, um, or Monday Monday or California Dreaming, that's him. Interesting. And he also wrote music. For, he also wrote the music for Fitch the Cat. Oh, okay, that is also interesting and surprising. Yeah, also interesting. And one more person behind the scenes, really quick. Uh, when I was watching the last night and just watching the credits, I noticed the second unit second unit camera operator is Tak Fujimoto. Do you know who that is? I don't. I'm looking at I'm looking at your notes though, and he sounds really interesting. Yeah, Japanese American again. The Corman School. He was DP, I believe he was. Yeah, he was director of. He was a director of photography on Death Race 2000, uh, Caged Heat, and The Badlands by by uh, Terrence Malick. But he's an Academy Award nominated cinematographer. He is Jonathan Demi cinematographer. He did Philadelphia and Sixth Sense. He did uh, Beloved and Signs, um, all kinds of major singles. This is a movie I like. Married to the Mob, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Pretty in Pink. So, like, he's a pretty major cinematographer of the 80s. And this is one of his early credits. So, 
I think that's kind of interesting. It's, it's always fun. Whenever you watch any movie by anybody associated with Roger Corman, watch the credits because you never know. You might see James Cameron in it <laughs> or because <laughs> James Cameron did special effects for Roger Corman or somebody like Tak Fujimoto. Just so many like, again, Roger Corman. Also, as of this recording, it was his birthday last week. Roger Corman is, I believe, 97. Happy fucking birthday, dude. Happy birthday, dude. And his influence in American cinema, just by who he helped bring up, cannot be understated. Including, not not just including all the names I just mentioned, but also Jack Nicholson, um, just countless, uh, Paul Bartel, Mary Warnoff, from I mentioned last in the last episode. Just so many people. Uh, B-movies are a better place because of Roger Corman. Uh, so, yeah. What was going to yeah, say? Uh- so, uh, I, I because of the new Scream movie came out, I went to re- rewatch all the previous Scream movies. He's in Scream Three. I did not realize yeah, that yeah. as a young person, as as an adult. Now it was like Roger Corman is in the Scream franchise, and that makes perfect sense. And I yeah, wish he was a, in it more. Uh, he's like Lance Henriksen's boss, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like one scene. Yeah. I have no idea. You know, Wes Craven was not a Roger Corman guy, so mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. Um, well, Wes Craven, you know, famously started in pornography. Um, <laughs> So, uh, that's weird. Roger Clemens also in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Who is he in Silence of the Lambs? He is um, the head of the FBI, I think. <laughs> he, Whoa. Yeah. I did not know that. That's, yeah, so he, 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 that's, that's, that's Jonathan Demme. So, that makes that more makes sense. sense. Jonathan Demme started in the, in the Coleman camp. But, yeah. Uh, Roger Coleman, you know, I, I hope he's happy to retire at 97. But just an absolute legend. I cannot. I have lost count of the number of Roger Coleman films I have watched. <laughs> so, uh, he he he's a, a mammoth of this of this type of film. But uh, let's move on to in front of the camera because I think that's where this movie really really shines. This movie is about a female gang. Uh, we didn't mention that. Sorry. And the kind of head of the gang is Lace, played by Robbie Lee, who is a hell of an actress. What do you think of Robbie? I think she's great. Even that line that we already talked about where she said, it's going to be bad. Um, like that was something I remember people laughing at when I made them watch it earlier in my life. But rewatching it now, I'm like, I really think she is selling me on the seriousness of this character. I believe stuff that comes out of her mouth. Uh, I don't care if other people find her acting decisions a little off. It works so well for me. I think I... I like I believe this character who is in some ways a little girl in some ways oh, definitely grown yeah. up way too grown up way too soon and trying to fuse the two halves of like I still want to be a kid in some ways but like I'm trying to lurch into adulthood and I'm not doing it correctly and this is how it's happening that's a real thing you see in life it doesn't usually end as badly as it does for her but um yeah just um I love her yeah she's great and I I you know, she's 20 or 21 when they made this. And obviously, everyone that's playing a teenager, they're not teenagers. Like, Joanne Nail, great actress. She is not a teenager. Uh, <laughs> no. No. But Robbie Lee looks like a 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of off-putting um, and kind of creepy. And she really sells it and just sells the vulnerability of a fucked-up 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Or 16 or however old she's supposed to be. Like, she's, she's young, I think. I think she's, she's supposed to be younger than the other ones. And just tougher. Mm. And her voice is so strange. It's very nasal. Um, yeah. She was hired because she reminded um, Hill of James Cagney. 
which I kind of get actually. Like some oh, of the I snarl, totally. the yeah. snarl of some of her line deliveries, it sounds is a very Cagney esque. And this movie is very. This movie has a lot in common with like Public Enemy, also, mm-hmm. with the betrayals and backstabbing and, and and it going very bad for everybody involved. But her family was in film. Her dad was an actor named Ralph Lee. Apparently, he was in a Doris Day film. Um, so I got a Doris Day connection. He was in Bill Rose's Jumbo, which is not a not a good Doris Day film. That's one of the elephant. Um, but his last role was in Preacher. I mean, his last role was in Beretta. The mm-hmm. the um the probably now canceled series with uh what's the murderer's name uh he didn't okay he's innocent but you know what I mean um he's dead and, so we can say whatever we want about him now. oh he is dead oh okay well then fine what was his name Robert, Robert Blake? Blake little Bobby Robert Blake. Blake yes good old yes good old yeah and her mother is Georgia Lee she was an actor she's the mother in this movie uh and her last she was in a lot of Billy Graham movies apparently of Billy Graham productions uh the the preacher, mm-hmm. uh, which is funny because her last movie was Linda Lovelace, Linda Lovelace, the president, <laughs> uh, which Robbie's also in, which I have seen. Um, don't watch uh, Linda okay. Lovelace, the president, everybody. Okay. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that I saw L.A. AIDS Jabber this year, uh, which is a real, mo- which is a movie, don't watch that either. Uh, <laughs> Linda Lovelace for President would be the worst film I've seen all year. I will say it is the worst film I've seen all year shot on film. Um, okay. L.A. AIDS Jabber. <laughs> I feel bad saying every time I say it. You, sh- you, on- should, you, sh- you should feel bad. You should feel terrible about yourself. Oh, I didn't release it. I just watched it. I'm a- Okay. That shot on videotape. Um, and it looks like a whole movie. So it's not a- I don't even call it a real movie. But Linda Lovelace for President is a real piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> just the real the and I feel bad because you know there's a lot of controversy of deep thought about you know consent mm-hmm. in that film. Uh yeah. this movie, there's no sex in it. It's just a regular movie. So and she's a good and she's good in it. Linda Lovelace is a good actress in that movie, and I feel bad that her one like quote unquote real movie, she's fucking terrible. And the movie's fucking unwatchable. It is horrible. Right. But uh anyway, enough about that. Um Robbie started uh Right before this season, Big Bad Mama, which is another Coleman film, and but she didn't act much. She's only in this Linda Lovelace of President, Big Bad Mama, and an R-rated movie with Marilyn Chambers called My Therapist. Marilyn Chambers is a, is a porn star, also. Yes. So, what? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, 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 she is. I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> yes, he's a porn star. Uh, she did some TV, like Police Woman, Six Million Dollar Man, but then she found a second career with that voice as a voice actress. One of many actresses in this movie who would go on to voice cartoon oh. characters, interestingly, but also not surprisingly, when you hear how they sound. Especially especially Robbie. You, you hear yeah. her voice, you're like, you could be a Smurf, and hey, guess what? She was Shy Violet and Twink in... Uh, Rainbow Bright, and those both make a lot of sense, and that's a weird connection for me to make. Did you ever watch Rainbow Bright? I did secretly, but I was very embarrassed to watch it because I didn't want people to think I was gay. I was not that gay a kid. Um, like I, 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 we would, we, I liked GI Joe and stuff, but we, my friends would use my friend's sister's Rainbow Bright toys as like Godzilla monsters to fight GI Joe. I think that's hilarious. Also, I yes. like how you just said, like, I wasn't that gay. I like G.I. Joe. I think G.I. Joe is actually the gayest thing ever. But Well, well I wasn't that, you know. You... I understand. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that girly. How about that? Mm-hmm. 
G.I. Uh, Joe was quite gay, yes. And so was He-Man. I didn't say He-Man. He-Man's super gay. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wasn't that femme. I didn't get I didn't get into my Doris Day kick until I was in my 30s. So, um, but yes. She also worked on Bobby's World. I think that's her last role. She moved to a ranch with her husband and hasn't done much this this millennium and good for her. Yep. But you seem to like the other the other lead is uh Joanne Nail. She plays uh Maggie. Uh you seem to know who that is. <laughs> I do. I um I, I knew her from this, and then I saw the visitor afterwards, and I was very surprised to be like, oh her. I'm glad she did two weird movies. Um she <laughs> is a very charming actress who I don't believe was ever a teenager because she seems like a self-assured 30-year-old in every movie I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. But um I find her incredibly appealing she's a Kristen bell quality sometimes that i like a great okay, deal i get that yeah I get, like if they remade this in like the mid-2000s Kristen bell would have played maggie and <laughs> um i hasn't had too much of a career outside of those two movies but apparently it does not matter because she married well as i learned from your visitor podcast yes he married the former president of industrial light magic who became an executive assistant at universal studios and a corporate vp of 20th century fox she is retired <laughs> Great. I bet she's a very attractive retired person. Yes. Oh, she is. I mean, and um, she she seems cool, though, because he still talks about these movies. Good. So, I'm glad she's not embarrassed of, like, her, wh- wh- where she came from. I mean, if she was embarrassed by The Visitor, I would not blame her. <laughs> but She's I'm, not bad in The Visitor. She's no, she, she makes sense. No one is bad in The Visitor except the, except the script. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. The acting is great in The Visitor, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, yeah, she's very good in this. Um, she is. She's. She's fucking intense. Like, I think the best characters in this. Like, I mean, it's not a very deep film, even though it is kind of based on Othello. But I think the best performances are the ones who come off as these people. These girls could kill you, and she has that energy very early on, <laughs> like in that very first scene with her when she's like ready, ready to murder Pat, like in five seconds. Right, which which we all feel because we all, we also instantly hate Patch, but um, I I I feel like um she does a good job containing like calm, cool, collected, like organizing like leader version of Maggie and like sensual Maggie, and then at the end of the movie she's like she's lost it, like she's just like screaming threats to the police as she's being loaded into the wagon, and I think she pulls it off in a way that a lot of other actresses uh maybe 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 couldn't. Yeah, I I mean I don't think. Bobby Lee couldn't do that speech at the end. No, her voice is too her voice is too silly. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Bobby Lee plays psychotic well. Like Maggie plays. I mean, it's funny because Bobby Lee's character is conniving, but I I think she plays un- unhinged very well. Ma- uh, Joanne is much more calm, collected. She kn- she has a plan, and mm-hmm. it it shows in the performance. She's very good. The rest of the of the women the girls. Uh, a lot of people who didn't do much or like kind of what had weird careers. Uh, we mentioned Patch. Patch is the Iago of the film, if you know Othello. He's played by an actress named Monica Gale, who, from what I can tell, has completely vanished off the face of the earth. She did a few films before this. She was in she was in General Hospital, apparently. Um, and she's in this few softcore films. She's in a movie called Mr. Dildo's Secret. <laughs> <laughs> which I told my mom that and my mom made the same joke I made which was if that's the name of the movie what's his secret <laughs> <laughs> and she's in Take It Out and Trade 
which is an Ed Wood movie. Um, oh, yeah, I that might be a porno because he did porn late in mm. life. Uh, I know his last movie is is a, is, a, is a straight up hardcore porn, but I'm sure it's terrible because it's Ed Wood. But uh, she vanished. She made a movie called Nashville Girl. She was in a few TV shows. I think her last role was Fantasy Island. And she vanished off the face of the earth. I cannot find anything about her. It is not made any more easy by the fact that there is a very famous newscaster from Detroit with the same exact name. Yeah, that's that's that makes research hard. Uh, uh, yeah, if, go ahead. What was if, I, if I may step back for a moment, I feel like you're stepping over. You're, I'm looking at your notes, and you say that in 1971 she was in something called Pinocchio, and I think you're uh, bearing the lead that the alternate title of the movie was The Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio. <laughs> I believe that might be a Charles uh, a Charles Band production. Uh, okay. Let me look that up really quick because um, erotic adventures. There's there's a Simpsons joke where Troy McClure makes reference to a film called The Erotic Adventures of Hercules, and there might have been a lot of the erotic adventures of. But I like in this instance, Hercules makes more sense of to have erotic adventures than Pinocchio does, but. Hercules is the Simpsons joke, and Pinocchio is the real world production that actually <laughs> screened in theater somewhere. Yes. Okay. No, this was not Charles Band. I was confusing that with the Erotic Adventures of Cinderella. Okay. Uh, but I, I have never seen the Erotic Adventures of Pinocchio, and I know it has the tagline, "It's not his nose that grows," which <laughs> I mean, let's be, that's not that special. <laughs> no, no. That that's the most most men most mo- most people with penises are capable of that actually. That's the plan, yeah. Um, now, if it if it grows every time you lies, then that's I guess that's Bessel. Um, but I have not seen it. Uh, I kind of want to. <laughs> I would like to see more films with Monica Gale. She's really appealing. Um, she has. Um... Again, uh, I'm just a sucker for this movie, but um, she sells me on her. She's the conniver. She's the real uh, like power player working behind the scenes. And um, she has like an almost elfin quality. She reminds me of how I think Poison Ivy, the character, the Batman character okay. should look, which is like um, nymph-like and someone that you're like, oh, well, I don't need to be worried about her, but you actually do have to be worried about this one because she will fucking kill you when you're not looking. She is uh, playing the odds and uh, calculating stuff against you all the time. Yeah, she has a look to her. She reminds me of, and not just not just because of the eye patch, but she reminds me of, um, what is her name? I'm, I'm, I'm doing bad today. Uh, Christina Lindbergh, who was in a film called Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Uh, oh, I don't know this one. Don't see it. Um <laughs> That's another rape revenge movie, um, and I believe that film used an actual corpse for one scene. Um, That's bad. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, that don't. And her eye gets gouged out, and yeah, they, they they and it has hardcore scenes in it. It's a gross movie. A lot of people like that movie. I hate that movie. Uh, Christina Lindbergh is very good in it. She's the inspiration for the one-eyed nurse in Kill Bill. So I was wondering if Patch is an inspiration for. L driver in Kill Bill because um, they have a similar arc where Patch is jealous of Maggie because she thought she was going to be the one that was going to get all the attention. Mm -hmm. And then Maggie sweeps in and steals it. And that's a very similar relationship to Kill Bill where uh, Daryl Hannah's character is like the number two until Uma Thurman shows up and steals Bill's focus away from her. And they have a similar jealousy of like, this person came in and changed the dynamic and I hate them. And I wondered if that might've been an inspiration for Quentin Tarantino. That is a good point because most people reference thriller when they talk about, uh, the Ellie driver, is that her name in, um, mm-hmm. 
in in Kill Bill, but obviously Quentin Tarantino loves this movie. Yeah. So I would I would I hope he got it more from Swiss Boy Sisters because it's a much better movie than Thriller. <laughs> A cruel picture. Um, if you want to see a good movie with Christine Lindbergh, who, who was a decent actress, watch a Japanese movie called Sex and Fury, which uh, is another big Kill Bill inspiration because that has a giant sword fight in the snow, um, where where everyone where she is where the woman sword fighter is buck naked. Um, oh, that movie's rad as fuck. I love that movie. Uh, it's kind of hard to find these days, but I, I recommend that one. And, and Christine Lindbergh plays like a Swedish woman coming to japan it's also kind of a gross movie because it's a japanese it's a 70s japanese movie and those are really gross with women but again it has great sword fights it's a it's a weird ass movie but anyway yeah monica gale has vanished (laughs) um i spent 20 minutes reading a message board thread that was like over 20 years old of these dudes trying to track her down and all the theories they had are gross i'm not gonna get into them uh um, but I, I hope she's well. Right, me too. Yes. Uh, let's move on to a few more people really quick. Um, I, w- I want to skip ahead really quick to my favorite. My favorite supporting character is Donut. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Donut, I identify with Donut. She's the big girl. Um, she just wants to eat. She's 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 a very sweet girl, and in the context of the movie, we're supposed to think that Donut is like fat and therefore unattractive. I think she's the sexiest one of the entire group. She has such a great face. She looks great in purple, and I've I, I looked up some pictures of her when she was like at events with her dad. And um, yeah, who, who's I, the dad? Lenny Bruce. Yeah, yeah. See, this is Kitty Bruce, Lenny Bruce's daughter. Yes, she's, she's much more attractive than you imagined. Lenny Bruce's daughter was going to be. I yes, number one, yes, yes. but like. You can see pictures of her wearing like um uh like late sixties, early seventies like gowns at like Hollywood events. She's gorgeous. And for this, like she's playing up that she's like um a, a fat girl who gets called a pig, but like she's she's actually gorgeous. Yeah, she's actually gorgeous. And I will say I feel I always feel sorry for Donut. There's a scene in a movie where they're making Donut like do like some cigarette torture for money. Yeah. And uh I forgot I think Hook just slaps her. Yeah. And she just fucking takes it. Yeah. Like doesn't even flinch. It's like poor donuts been through, been through the ringer. She she gets one moment of validation in the entire movie, and that is after they take down the bad guy. She's like icing the cake, and she writes Jezebel's in cursive in icing. Everyone's like donut that looks really good. I was like, this is the only nice moment she gets. Is that like you didn't fuck up the cake, you stupid idiot? <laughs> yes, I feel so bad for her. But yeah, she is Lenny Bruce's daughter. She's in. She's only in one of the movies. She's in Andy Warhol's Bad. Uh, which I have not seen, and mm-hmm. she worked as a. But I have heard her voice because she sings vocals on a Patrick Mirage album. Uh, you probably don't know who that is. I do not. But, that's, that's it's for the best. He was the third keyboardist for Yes. Okay. Yes, he is the keyboardist between Rick Wakeman. It's Rick. There's somebody else. Rick Wakeman, Patrick Mirage, Rick Wakeman. Um, it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I have that album. And uh, it's a good album if you like, you know, jazz prog rock. And if you don't, you're better than me. So good for you. But I, do you know what happened to Kitty? No, couldn't find anything about her. Um, appears to be still alive. You can find pictures of her on Google Image Search or what she looks like now. She looks like a middle-aged woman who's led a pretty comfortable life. She seems happy. So I, I'm happy about that. But I have no information about her personal life. That's too bad. Um, I also like Bunny. 
who has a small mm-hmm. role, uh, Dennis Carmen. But I mostly want to m- mention Bunny because what Bunny's done since this, <laughs> which is bonkers, and I, I'm you, happy you, for it. It means yeah, she's what, loaded. Yeah. So what what happened? So Dennis Carmen, uh, she has not acted much since this because why? She became the voice of the female, the Chipettes. She married Ross Bagdasarian, who's the creator of the Alvin and the Chipmunks. And then he created the female Chipmunks for her to voice. And she voiced them in the cartoons for most of the 80s and still does voice work. And uh, another another one to transition into cartoons. Good for her. She also voices Theodore. Oh, does she? I didn't know that. Yeah. So as she was in the most recent Alvin and the Chipmunks series. And... Her kids work on Alvin and Chipmunks. <laughs> I mean, I would too. It seems to be very profitable. A lot of people have made a lot of money off those fucking Chipmunks. So is he the creator? Is Ross? Yes, Bags? I believe so. Bag Bagdasarian, I believe. Oh yeah, he's Dave. He's Dave. Yes. So fuck, he married Dave. <laughs> yeah, she married. She, he, she married Dave Seville, and like <laughs> together they propped up the 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 Chipmunks empire. Imagine marrying a little a literal cartoon character. I think it would be a hard sell. And you're like, you know, they've made me a lot of money. And she'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, one more one more gang member, although not a, Je- not a Jezebel, another gang. Uh, Marlene Clark plays Muff, which is a terrible name. Mm-hmm. But I do like the character. Uh, um, have Muff, you st- Muff was actually my grandmother's name. I'll, I, I, I will ask for your forgiveness about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but um, Mar- have you seen Marlene Clark in other films? Um, I've seen Ganja and Hess. Ganja and Hess is weirdly a film that I didn't know about until recently, but horror uh, podcasts have fairly recently started talking about like, hey, this is an overlooked uh, milestone in uh, black horror cinema and also vampire cinema. And then I went back and watched it and it's actually it's actually quite good. I don't know why her character's name is Ganja. I think that is a confusing name. It makes you think it's <laughs> going to be a very different sort of movie. But um, she's really good in it and it's a great film. Have you have you seen it? No, I have not. It's, I have to. You have to have Showtime to watch up streaming right now. Okay. Um, but that also has the guy from Night of the Living Dead in it. Yeah. It's his only other leading role. So I do want to see it. I have seen her in Slaughter, which is a good black person film. She has a small part in Enter the Dragon, which, so I have seen her in that. She's in The Beast Must Die, which is a hilarious, not intentionally, um, hilarious black and werewolf film with Peter Cushing. Interesting. Uh, the werewolf in that is a dog. <laughs> is a dog with like more fur on it. It's 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 I, it's fun. Like I recommend it. Just don't go in thinking. Don't don't go in looking for high art. Um, and speaking of not high art. She's also in Beware the Blob. Not I vote the blog, the blob, or the blob, <laughs> um, which is the blob sequel from 1972, which is a real motherfucker of a movie that starts off as a blaxploitation film and then becomes a teen comedy. Um, and it was ri- it was directed by Larry Hagman. <laughs> that is right. That's where I found out about this. We did it. We did. I dream of Jeannie recently and oh, okay. not recent last year. And I fell down a Larry Hagman hole. And one of the things that oh, pulled no. up was that. So I think I've seen that movie. Is she like the main character's wife in that movie? She's Chester's. Yeah. She is Chester's wife. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so see, I don't think she dies. Chester dies. Um, um, I thought I remembered her dying, but maybe again, I wasn't really investing a whole lot of focus in it. It was one of those things you have on where you're doing research for something else. Well, that's why it's first it eats a fly, then a kitten, then her, then Chester. <laughs> there once was an old lady. Um, 
But uh, Beware the Blob's a good one. I, my favorite my favorite fact about Beware the Blob is that they re-released it in the 80s with the tagline, the movie JR shot. <laughs> that's a really that's really smart. I, I love that. Have you ever done Dallas on your podcast? No, so we only do sitcoms. I oh, don't okay. I, I'm allergic to hour longs because they require mm-hmm. like soap required so much work oh, to be able yeah. to do that and talk about it with any like context about what was going on. And to do that for almost anything else would require me to watch a bunch of fucking hour longs. So um one day maybe we'll do a season of hour longs, but um that'll be a lot of work. No. Well, my my dad loved Dallas. On, um, I feel like Dallas is the straight is is the straight white boomer soap opera. Oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, my wait, J- Larry, my dad literally, no joke, looked up to Jr. That's problematic. Well, he might he might have missed he might have missed the point of the show. <laughs> my dad was a very good businessman, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> he knows that Jr. got shot, right? Like he didn't miss that episode. Yeah, but right? did, he, did he die? He didn't. It's true. He's no fucking hell. No, you know, survivor. So, and then moving on to the men of the film, not many. um, Oh, uh, there is Dom, is played by Asher Bronner, who I'm sure, based on his credits, I'm sure I've seen him in other stuff because he's in eight million TV shows. Yeah, Uh, but mostly drama. So not not a lot of sitcoms. But he was in The Fall Guy. Magnum P.I., Airwolf, Matlock, Beauty and the Beast, Hunter, Jake and the Fat Man, like every 80s TV show that your dad liked. Um, he passed away two years ago uh, at the age of 74. Rest in peace. Uh, I think he's really, I th- his character is oddly to me fascinating because he has this, 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 this unpleasant assault scene. But then I feel like he knows he's a piece of shit. There's, this, there's a look on his face in that scene. And when he's telling Lace off later, it's like he doesn't seem very happy with his lot. Like he's in charge of a gang, and he th- I think he knows that's his best is going to get. To me, it's kind of interest. It's an interesting character of just like he's a horrible human being, is almost aware of it. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I mean, what do you think? Um, for me, he's sort of a weak point because I don't okay. understand why Lace is like focused on him, and I also like my biggest associations are in the assault scene. Uh, yeah. It seems like that Maggie also sort of likes him, and that yeah, that's is, a gross scene. Yeah, it's it's weird, and that's my primary focus. Um, I want to hate him more, I guess. Um, this uh, the way I b- believe all the women when they have their big moments do a monologue. I don't believe his when uh, he tells off Lace and uh, brings about his own demise. Basically, I will say that I have met plenty of people, men and women, who are obsessed with pieces of shit nobodies. That's true. So, so That's the fact it. that Lace won't let this guy go, like I've had, I've had women, women friends and men friends who have been with people. I'm like, you can do better. Yeah, but they're just obsessed. So that is realistic. Uh, I do like that his right hand man is <laughs> um, Bob from that '70s show. <laughs> Donna's dad, Mr. Pinciotti, of all people, Don Stark, uh, yeah. looking like decent, looking like kind of hunky in his sleeveless tee. He has nice arms. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't even know it was him at first, and but I was looking at the cast while watching it, and I was like, "Fuck, go Donna's dad!" Like, <laughs> good for him. Uh, he he is he is oddly attractive in this. <laughs> He's also in Evil Speak. Have you seen Evil Speak? 
I have not seen Evil Speak. Do you have to come on Evil Speak? Oh, you should see Evil Speak. It's a Clint Howard um, horror Ooh. movie that's kind of um, homoerotic in weird ways. Ooh. And um, Too much filmed, I, Clint Howard and homoeroticism. Go on. Also filmed in Santa Barbara under like sort of mysterious circumstances. I used to live in Santa Barbara. I did a, I did a news story about like the suspicious filming of this movie, Evil Speak. I think you dig it. Okay, I'll check that out. I'll, I think that's on. I think that's on Tubi. The I believe the, it is. the secret best streaming service. Um, oh, for sure. Yes. The bad guy is a guy named Krabs. He's an actor named Chase Newhart. He went into directing immediately after this and did the, the second AD work and first AD work. Uh, but the two more people I want to mention really briefly, then we'll move on. Uh, the evil lesbian prison warden, <laughs> uh, Mom Smackley, is played by Kate Murtar, who I recognize not from her work in, let's say, Highway to Heaven or Dr. Detroit or Three's Company, I recognized her because she is the waitress on the cover of Supertramp's album, Books in America. <laughs> which is uh, nuts. Which is a great fucking record also, by the way. Um, if you like progressive pop music, check it out. Uh, I, I don't actually know Supertramp, but uh, I don't know them very well. And I wasn't familiar with this album cover. But uh, Talking Simpsons uh, is a podcast that I've been on a few times. And they did a whole episode about, like, did Simpsons predict it? And one of the things they talk about is, did Simpsons predict 9-11? And apparently there are people who think that this album cover also predicted 9-11. Uh, you should Google it's, it. it. It's very, very strange. I don't completely even understand it. It, it seems like a people who aren't visually literate looking at vis- vis- visual things. But yes, um, well, that is how I know that this album is. It allegedly predicted 9-11. I also did an entire... I used to have my, my Progressive Rock podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex and his right time band. And me and Elliot did an entire episode about Supertramp. <laughs> okay. So if you want to hear me talk a lot about Supertramp... Uh, I need to know more about that. As someone who enjoys 80s music, but like a lot of um, prog stuff is sort of a blind spot for me, to be honest. They're more, they're they're much more poppy, so I think mm-hmm. they're much more accessible than like say Yes or ELO or King Crimson. But yeah, check them out. That album, that album is perfect. That is a perfect record. You think uh, Supertramp is more more accessible than ELO? See, I love ELO. I don't have. That is interesting. This is this is I don't this is a whole genre of music that I need to know more about because I think about ELO being very accessible. No, not uh, ELO, ELP. ELP, uh, that's a very different. Okay. Emerson Lincoln Palmer is less accessible than <laughs> my mistake. No. Uh yes, ELO, very accessible. Very very, very, very accessible. Emerson Lincoln okay. Palmer, not so much. Okay. Bas- I mean, basically that- all I know about Prograt I know from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is to say, but not very much. You are the 80th person to say that exact same sentence to me. <laughs> and then really quick, apparently John Volstad is in this movie as a character named Runt. John Volstad was Dale number two in Newhart. Yeah. I couldn't is, find him. Is he the guy that gets forced into um, having sex with Bunny for money? Is that who he is? I don't think so. Has that, he, that guy, he doesn't I don't look know. Like he just, but like they don't call that character anything else. I was trying by process of illumination try to figure out who he is because I got drunk and bought the entire series run of Newhart on DVD, um, which <laughs> showed up on my doorstep, which was very surprising. But have been watching it and have been enjoying it, and so I'm like, just finished season three. It's what I watch when I cook dinner. It's very it's very cozy and homey to have on, and also a pretty funny show. So um, oh, I, yeah. I, I I made it my point to like try to figure out who he was and still couldn't pick him out. Yeah, I, I have to rewatch Newhart, but my boyfriend has never seen it. And so to, to, we have to watch the Bob Newhart show. So my boyfriend to. will get. Well, you don't we, have, we have to. Well, I mean, 
it's 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 all we have to hey look we have to watch five seasons of another tv show so my boyfriend will get one joke in the last episode of another tv show this is true i mean that that would be the best case to do it yeah yes yes and it's a good show too they're both great so, they're both great. anyway new heart funny guy One more thing about the cast, somebody who was who was almost in this film. Oh, you're asking me. Oh, that wasn't rhetorical. So no. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I I will say Terry Nunn of the band Berlin, but I'm saying this only because you put it in your notes. I did not find that on my own, and I want you to give me the backstory there. Well, it doesn't say I just it's on the on a making of documentary on the Blu-ray they mentioned that. Uh, okay. and unfortunately that's all they say. So you like Terry Nunn? I do. Um, that was, um, I didn't know Berlin was good because I only know take oh. your breath away. And then when, by, by doing my eighties music podcast, I go deeper on stuff that, uh, didn't really make it to me as a kid. And one of the things was like, Oh, Berlin was actually great. Separate from take your breath away. Berlin's fucking rad. And, uh, I love, I used to make a joke to say I'm, I'm straight for Terry Nunn. I get it. Basically her and Debbie Harry, but Terry Nunn is basically, you know, if you be great, Debbie Harry. I'm sorry, Terry Nunn, <laughs> but it's kind of true. She um, might be okay with that. But Terry Nunn's awesome. She's in a movie. She is in uh, Thank God It's Friday. I which, don't know that. Uh, that's where the song Last Dance comes from. The oh. Thomas song. Last Dance. Yo, oh, I, I'm familiar, but yes. because of Family Matters, unfortunately. <laughs> Hey, whatever, whatever gets you there. But yeah. that's that's a movie with uh, Terry Nunn, Jeff Goldblum, Deborah Winger, um, and uh, it's a movie has it's the only starring role of Paul Jabrara. Paul Jabrara was the guy who founded the founded the uh, the Village People. Oh, interesting. And I, I don't wrote, know this. He wrote he wrote it's Rain, it's raining men, um, and when it was time to make a Village People movie, they cast Steve Gutenberg to play him. So that tells you how good his charisma is. If Steve Gutenberg mm-hmm. can play him better, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, but I I love Terry Nunn. I wonder who she. They didn't say who she was up for. Uh, I'm gonna guess. I mean, just based on the way she looks, I would say like Bunny. But she seems like she brings an energy that doesn't really match Bunny, and like she wouldn't be Patch. I don't know. I would that's, say that's... if she. I would say maybe Maggie. Mm, just from her looks, uh... just from her appearance. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Terry Nunn, Terry Nunn is perfectly cromulent in um, Thank God It's Friday, but see, this play is like kind of a wannabe groupie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's also very young in that movie. How how old was Terry Nunn? Terry Nunn was, she would not have been 20 years old if she would have made this movie. Mm-hmm. She would have been a teenager. So I, she could not have been elite because they, they couldn't have her do those scenes. Uh because he's only 63 now. So he was born in 69, 59. So he would have been like, what, 15, 16? Yeah, that's really young. So, yeah, it would it, it could have been like, a, you know, maybe a, a, a small character or something. But maybe maybe you know, she was it, maybe, maybe she was supposed to be like Cherry, like the the girlfriend of the, the younger brother. Maybe. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, no. That, well, I hope not. I mean, you don't actually see like you see yeah. her get 
you see her get abducted, but they they spare you from seeing like any sort of attack that happens to her. Who says cripple dick? Bunny. Bunny says bunny. cripple dick. I think. Well, I hope it was, I hope she was up for bunny then, because <laughs> I would love to see Terry Nunn say cripple dick. Cripple dick's a great mean thing to say to somebody. Uh, I have that in my notes, just on its own, just on its own, just like cripple dick, and I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. Yes. Uh, a few other things really quick about 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 the production since we brought that up. Like I said, Terry Nunn was up for it, didn't get it, and. The movie was shot in L.A. very quickly. They, it was the last movie to use MGM's, MGM's New York back, back lot. The final shootout was in the MGM's back lot. Um, and it was um, put together pretty quick, like I said, 18 days. And one thing that's interesting about it also is that it's kind of based on a true story uh, and Othello. So the bad guy, Krabs, is based on a real person because Krabs is kind of a fake youth leader who's a gang leader. And there was a guy named Jeff Fort who was a gang leader who took federal grant money for, like, urban development <laughs> and used it to buy guns and drugs. I guess that makes more sense because I, I, I have some plot questions about exactly what was going on when yeah. Maggie infiltrates Krabs' hideout. But, like, is Krabs supposed to be a high schooler still? They, they talk about how he's old, but, like, is he still technically – is he an old high schooler in this movie? He's, like, he's the Switchblade Sisters version of uh, Nelson. Well, not Nelson. What's the Jimbo. older one? Jimbo, yeah, Jim, of Jimbo. Jimbo. Yes. Okay. Like, his kids, his kids, his kid is starting junior high next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's very old. But Jeff Fort's the real guy. Of he's in prison right now because he committed with Libya to commit acts of terrorism against America. Now, I I know the American government can sometimes set people up for stuff like that. From what I read about this, yeah, no, he tried to. He worked with Libya to commit acts of actual terrorism against America. Wow. So he got 80 years in prison. See you, dude. Doesn't, doesn't seem like a nice guy. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, let's move on to the movie. I, I think we should, we should probably do that because we've been talking a long time. Spoilers for this. If you want, is this streaming anywhere? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. I watched it on Amazon Prime because oh. I couldn't find my DVD. Okay, well then, if you, if you, if you want to watch this, there you go. But let's get into this. I one of my favorite things about this movie is how it as, how it introduces the characters. At first, you you sympathize with them, mm-hmm. especially Lace, because Lace's home life is terrible. Her, there's a giant rat in the house, and there's a repo man, and it's a bad time, right? Yeah, she's trying to find like power that she can agency anywhere she can find it. Yes, and early on, she's at home, and a repo, a repo man is coming to take their TV, which if you have to make payments on a TV, you're not doing so good, I think, <laughs> from a socioeconomic standpoint. Mm-hmm. And she follows the repo man into the elevator, and then that's a great intro to the gang. Because as the elevator's going, in, going down, more and more people from the gang come in until they all kind of uh, surround the repo man and do a comical crime on him. Because later on you see him and it's like, that's not how you get stabbed. Like his right. shirt's all cut up, but it's t- yeah, it's ridiculous. But you meet the gang and they go to the burger, the burger stand, and that's when we meet Maggie. And I just, it this the movie just, I think it starts this this opening everything before the prison is just boom, just go go go. What do, what do you think about the first confrontation when they meet Maggie? Uh, I think 
it is interesting how um, the movie makes me on Maggie's side, even though she's the new girl and I know nothing about her. But I know Patch is so arrogant and so brash, and she, I just feel like she has her comeuppance coming that I want it to come from Maggie right from the beginning. So I don't even know who this girl is, but I'm rooting for the girl who's wearing denim hot pants and like oh, the, yeah. a belt that also looks like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure accessory. Like I don't understand what that weapon even is, but it's beautiful. Yeah, it's like a bolo. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that. I, th- I think it's good also that in the film, they have Lace treat Donut like shit. Yeah. Before that scene. Mm-hmm. So then you know, oh, Lace sucks too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually, that's one of the telltale signs that Lace and Patch are bad leaders and also bad women because they're not standing up for this person who should be their friend, even though she's technically their subordinate. And Maggie never does that. And when events unfold the other girls know that like actually maggie's the good one because she treats donut like a person and she can fucking fight yeah like i like, i love how she's just ready to go like see she's a battle pose like with within one second she has a weapon in her hand and her jean jacket wrapped around her other arm to make it harder to stab her is that so I was gonna ask you, I, I don't know I don't don't know that much about street fighting despite being a nineties fighting game kid. Um and I wondered what that was. Well I think she's she's covering her arm for defense. So like it's harder to slash it. You have to you sense. have to you have to go in for the for the kill. I went to a bad high school. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have gangs in your high school? Um, yes, but not as a problem. Um, so I grew up in central California and there was a gang presence in my hometown, but it didn't really impact high school at all, uh, at either of the two high schools I went to. So, um, it was, it was, uh, nice for that reason. We had a kid sell acid in my biology class. Was he a gang member or was he just an enterprising young man? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I also saw that same kid break somebody's arm in junior high school, like at the elbow. what did the kid do? Like he, he fucking had it coming. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, yeah. When it comes to like witnessing like violence or something like that, it was like, yeah, that was bad. But also if you know the context, it was like, mm, that person kind of had it coming. So yeah, I, 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 maybe I'll tell you, maybe I might, tell, might tell you off recording. Um, but they, for the, the, the Jezebels at this time, who are the dagger Debs, because they are the female counterpart to the dagger gang. Mm-hmm. And they are just, I think, already in town well-known because the cops come to the burger joint and arrest them all for assaulting the repo man. And I have a question here. You watch more old TV than me. Um, and probably more old, like, like you just watched Barney Miller, right? You just did. Yes. So the whole thing of, like, juvenile, you can't hold a juvenile. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that happened then. I don't know. So whenever we encounter something like this, I look look up like, what was the actual law back then? I did not look up the actual law for this because I also don't know what state this is supposed to take place in. It seems like it's supposed to be East Coast, but it's obviously LA for most of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's just a fiction they made up to advance the plot along. And they're like, people don't know. But no one watching this movie is going to know what the actual law is. We'll just like scoot by. It's just something that uh, um, gives us the opportunity to make sure Lace gets out when it's convenient for Lace to get out of prison. Because it, there's the same plot point in Class of '84, which is a great movie, where it's like we can we can't hold them; they're juveniles. So like, and I feel in the '80s movies that was definitely like the media, like the governor's not the government's not hard enough on crime thing, that narrative. Mm-hmm. But I guess in the '70s, crime was really bad too. Like this is like Nixon era crime was. Think about like New York in the '70s. Yeah, Barney Miller. 
Yeah, but oh, yeah, there, there you go. So I watched Bonnie Miller. Is that a good show? Yeah, it. Um, I know. Like as a gay man, watching a show about a bunch of men wearing ties who work in an office together sounds boring. There are no female recurring characters other than Barbara Barry. It is so good and it's so well written. The lack of female characters doesn't even bother me because the characters are so richly drawn. Yeah, it's, it has a bunch of right. b- bunch of middle aged middle aged men in suits. Yep, it's a, it takes right, well, precinct. It's it's not it's it's not them doing policing out in the world. It is an office sitcom. They almost never leave the precinct office. Okay, well, but I'll, I also would, would like to watch her, so but, but, but some middle aged men in suits. Anyway, um, I have a t- I have a type. Uh, <laughs> I no, I get it. Hal Linden, Hal Linden's a fucking dreamboat in this. Yeah, in yeah, show. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But when they go to prison, that's when we, I guess, that's when we get the the most predominant gay content of this film. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, Mom Smackley, aka Evil Anby Davis. <laughs> Evil who? Anby Davis. Who's who's Ann B. Davis? She's Alice on the Brady Bunch. Fuck yes, you're right. I was gonna go Large Marge. I mean, it, 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 it's 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 somewhere between those two things. <laughs> yes, and so this is a stereotype, right? I'm sure. I, I'm sure it's an unfair stereotype. I don't know that much about the uh, women's penal system, but um, this is probably something that's just lurid for our own uh, 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 to gawk at, you know. Yes, because the prison warden who was a giant, the giant woman who was on the cover of the the Supertramp album is an evil lesbian. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, is there any other kind in the 70s? No, I mean, you always have women who engage in like same sex uh, sexual interactions and you're supposed to think that's the good kind. And then this is like the inveterate about lesbians. That's the bad kind. But like we do get a brief flash that she has a life outside being a female prison warden where they're like you have a new girl we know who she is she's pretty it'd be a shame if we cut her face up and she relents because she actually loves this woman so she's gross to the girls in the prison but she might actually be okay to her girlfriend which is something it's a i'm i'm, I'm grasping for anything here yeah because there isn't much lesbian representation in, in any media in the 70s right <laughs> um you're joking right <laughs> i mean i mean there isn't much positive positive no 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 it's not the best yeah it's 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 either gross or for the uh uh gratification of a man who's watching it happen i barely count like if i see a movie that has like 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 we we were talking about before we went on the uh, um your vice is a lot going on the key mm-hmm. and that has that that's not lesbian representation <laughs> like, it's really not no it's i don't uh, count i don't count movies that have two girls make out for titillation of men to be actual lesbian representation maybe i'm wrong um isn't the couple that does that? Isn't it an aunt and her niece also? I think it's by marriage. Okay, well that's something. Yeah, we, we we had a whole discussion about that on the podcast. It's like, is this lesbian incest or is it this lesbian? Anyway, um, not in this movie, but that that scene is gross because, and again, content warning: they keep talking about checking inside Maggie. Yeah, and like for, looking, looking, quote unquote, looking for drugs. Uh and that's the impetus for the rest of the gang, though, to get on Maggie's side. Because at this point, Maggie is still the bad guy. To the, the, the gang is not like Maggie. No. But I guess they feel like, we don't like her, but she shouldn't be sexually assaulted. True. Which is like the base level of compassion you can have for someone else. <laughs> yes. But, but that's how Maggie and Lace bond. Um, by, hitting lesbians, by hitting lesbians with plumbers. <laughs> with with um, plungers. 
I, I have in my notes, I say that the whole thing is more homophobic than what happens in the previous scene, which is Lace telling the cop, hands off the fruit, faggot. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never yeah, get, I mean, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. That's a great line. That's a great line. It's just not a line we can use outside discussion of this film, unfortunately. I never get when people, like, if if she's accusing, she's accusing him of groping her. Yeah. But calling him a faggot. Because she's just saying it because it's a mean, gross thing to be, and it's going to hurt his feelings, and that's where we are sociologically in the 70s. That's a good point. I do like that the insult has the words fruit and faggot in it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you haven't really thought about this. That I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Patch is the cleverest of the group, obviously. But uh, yeah, she <laughs> should have workshopped her line a little better. Yeah, she sort of. I was also thinking, I, I, I never heard "fruit" as a homophobic slur until I watched Soap. Oh, interesting. So I, I, I did because I grew up in a slightly different environment than you did, and that was that 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 was that was around. Unfortunately, I just heard "faggot." Like, <laughs> just, like my school I, was not that creative. They do not. They just passed go went straight to faggot. It does the job. I remember um, in high school, someone bought a bag of Skittles, and it was the red Skittles. And there was this kid everyone picked on. He probably did grow up to be gay, unfortunately. But I remember them being like, "Look, your name is on it," and the package reads "Original Fruit," and everyone laughed and laughed and laughed at this poor kid. I felt so bad for him. My school was not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> I always kind of like fruit as a slur because I think it's kind of funny. Like, obviously, if you're calling someone that to be mean, that's not nice. But like when I hear it in soap, I'm like, oh, that's cute. They use it in Clue. I think I learned it in Clue because oh. I saw Clue when I was young. But they have that joke about he's a plant versus he's a fruit, you know? Yeah. There's yeah. a there was a um there was a, a place in Pittsburgh where I lived for a long time. There was a a, a part in the park that was famous for where the gay men would go suntan. It was called the fruit rack. I mean, it's a great name. <laughs> And I, that, no, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. But, but behind that was the cruising area, and that was called the Fruit Loop. I mean, this is this is this is branding. This is excellent branding. Yes, but go ahead. <laughs> My dream is to start a bar, like a divey bar for gay men of all ages, and call it the Low Hanging Fruit. And <laughs> I will never get my money together to like make that a r- realistic investment opportunity. But I swear it could work. That's the second best gay bar that gay bar name I've heard. What's the first? There's a lesbian bar in town here in Tokyo called Goldfinger. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so. oh, wait, hey, I, I have one more thing about the, the uh, lesbian prison warden scene. One of the two lesser wardens is Jeannie Epper, who is a famous stunt woman, but she is the reverend's wife in Kill Bill Part 2. She's the bitchy reverend's wife who oh. um, makes a bunch of judgy statements and then um, gets slaughtered with the rest of the wedding party. Is she the one of the in this who's kind of kind of more mannish looking i think she's not i think she's um well hmm, i mean i think she's the one that gets like her head drummed on with a garbage can okay okay i'm looking at a picture now yeah i do recognize her okay yeah she's a stunt woman she's a man she then, did stunts in 2002 good for her <laughs> and then her daughter is also a stunt woman and she is in death proof is that is but not the not the not the star of death proof right not the <laughs> No, she's um, Lana Franks is one of she actually, actually plays the stunt woman in the movie. She's like one of Lana Franks's crew, so she has a very small part in. Oh, that okay, group, okay. All right. Apparently, it's the family business of uh, uh, being in stunt, doing stunts and exploitation Man, movies. Yeah, I've seen a, her. In a, like she's a stunt woman in Clue. Oh, I wonder who she is. That's and Vamp, uh, and Outrageous Fortune with Bette Midler, which is a great movie. Um, that is a great anyway, movie. Yes. <laughs> next episode um 
So after they bond from stop from attacking lesbians with, with plungers, um, Maggie's getting out early, and Lace gives her a letter to give to Dom. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, I think, another turning point because Dom, it's a letter for Dom, and Dom reads it out loud to the whole gang and makes fun of her. Yeah. Because toxic masculinity ruins everything. Yeah. Yes. And that makes ba- Maggie look at Dom in a, ba- in a, in a kind of a bad light. Uh, also, all, this is also a scene, though, where I think Dom, halfway through doing it, feel, halfway through reading the note, feels bad. I think he does too. I think he actually does legitimately like Lace on some level. He doesn't like her enough to keep it in the pants, but when he ditches her later, um, I think it's because he's scared of responsibility and being a grown up because he can't imagine life being a, little, uh, a life where he's not like a hood teenager. But like, I think he does legitimately like her. And when they're scenes together early on, he's at least playing it like he's into her. Like he likes that. Like she, he recognizes like she loves him completely. And oh, that's, totally. A beautiful thing. Like I wish, I wish I had someone that loved me as much as Lace loved Dom. That that, that would be awesome. That's kind of, that's kind of a low goal, dude. <laughs> I mean, she really <laughs> thinks he's great. Like she goes out of her way to make him feel good oh, all the as time. Much as Lace loves Dom. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Not the other way yeah. around. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I want, I want to be the Dom to someone else's Lace, and I will just be nicer <laughs> to them than Dom is. That's very noble of you. Yeah. Okay, but then Dom follows Maggie home. Yeah. He he rapes her. He does. Yes. In a way that is depicted poorly for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons I think it's most poorly is that you could, like, if you were not the most focused listener or viewer of this movie, you might be like, oh, like, it seems like maybe it was actually, like, they, they, they give you evidence to think it's consensual. And I don't know why that was thing they did in the seventies. And it's certainly not a thing we do now. Like it is, they, they soft pedal the entire thing, right? Yeah, they really do. It's kind of like, uh, even so, okay. I'm not going to defend straw dogs, <laughs> but hear me, right. but hear me out. Straw dogs. I, I like that movie. I think this is a very similar scene in straw dogs. That is much more controversial. That's more, much more well-known. Mm-hmm. And I feel there's a point to that scene. You might not agree with it, but, I understand why that scene is that way. In this, I feel it's, I like Jack Hill, but I feel this is a lazy scene. Yeah, it seems lurid. It seems like it's for titillation rather than for like character development, really. And there's a lot of movies back then that, you know, having a gratuitous sex scene is fine, but I think having a gratuitous sex scene be a rape is really gross. Yeah, but but we don't see that much of the the sex scene is, yeah, like, you're right. So we don't see that much of it, but like, that doesn't save it's still seeming lurid and yeah. And there's the one shot where she seems kind of into it. Yeah. And it just seems yeah. like such an unnecessary thing to throw in, especially because there's a version of this story where Maggie could legitimately be into Dom and mm-hmm. legitimately want to fuck Dom and then does fuck Dom, but also she wants to be friends with Lace. And those yeah. two things kind of exist at the same time. That sort of like ambiguity of like, I want to be this person's friend. I also fucked your boyfriend. That was not the right thing to do. It's going to come bite me in the ass at some point. And like the rest of the movie could still play out fairly well. If she just was like, yeah, I'll fuck him. Like he's hot. And, uh, they didn't, it's like, I, 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 a version of the story now would probably play out more like that. Or even if this could be a version where he kind of forces himself on her and she stops him. Mm -hmm. 
or just even he not in a criminal way just acts like a pig around her. Right. And, and she says Liz, and she denies him. But then Liz could still be pissed about it later because she doesn't believe Maggie or she doesn't exactly. understand the circumstances. There's a lot of ways to make this happen without this horrible scene, which I'd forgotten about, by the yeah. way. There's and, another sexual assault in the film that does make more sense from a, from a story standpoint. Uh, it's yeah. still not great, but it makes sense. Right. This is just seems out of out of left field. The one thing I like in this scene is when you see her mom and uh, and um, how you find out how fucked up her family life is. Right, and you realize that, like how similar her and Lace are. Like the things that they're doing, they're doing because uh, it's from a place of necessity. They don't have anything else. They're just trying to get some agency in the world. And she's her mom is having sex with the landlord, basically to pay rent. Yeah, and I do like the scene where the the mom tells the 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 guy to beat up Dom, and he's like, "No, I know who that is. <laughs> yeah. Are you crazy?" What's wrong with you? And it, I just, it, just the amount of fear that, that is in him from seeing Dom in that, in that apartment. It, that's a good, that part of the scene is really good. I really like that. True. Yes. So then uh, we finally, we, see, we have like one of the few scenes in school. I do like that the girls kind of sort of help the teacher. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's a funny scene, but also I think it is um, like, as much as I don't like the previous scene, I like this scene because it's showing that like, Male authority does not work. The women united are able to be a more stabilizing force than these male authority figures are on their own because the teacher has no control over the class. Teacher has no control of the class and the principal has no control of the school. He basically succeeds control to the daggers. Mm -hmm. He sees them smoking weed, doesn't stop them. Uh, And he lets them know that crabs from the other gang, he's being transferred to their school. And that's like the, the 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 bigger conflict. I mean, I guess the the Ma- the Maggie Lace conflict is bigger from a story standpoint, but in terms of like actual conflict, physical conflict, that's the real conflict. Mm-hmm. And Krabs is leader of another gang, who is kind of a youth group, uh, and they're gonna come to this school, and things are gonna be bad. <laughs> as as Lace says, things are gonna be bad. Yes. But before that happens, they have to make Maggie a, a member of the gang. And to do that, they send her to Krabs' hideout to steal his Nazi necklace. Yeah. Um, no, never explained why he's just wear, randomly wearing a swastika around his neck. Uh, I guess he is like, he's a bad guy, so he can be a Nazi. But uh, it is weird how that's not commented upon by anyone. Yes, yes. Uh, I do like how Maggie plays like an innocent girl. Oh, she's great. Oh, she's great. And like that, that dress that she's in, it was like, this is, this is obviously not what she would normally present herself in, but she does a great job playing little, little nothing. Yes. And then, um, uh, attack blowjob, which is my favorite, uh, fight, <laughs> fighting move. <laughs> you don't see it enough in movies. And she gets um, the necklace, becomes a dagger, but crabs obviously pissed. And that's when they shoot. Dom's brother and r- rape her girlfriend. His girlfriend. His girlfriend, yeah. Cherry. Cherry. <laughs> Which is I wish like again, I'm like, I know why you I, I know why you named her this, and this is inappropriate, but you know what you're doing. So very on the nose. And then they start to plan Maggie plans the assault. Ma- Maggie's like, we gotta fuck these guys up. Mm-hmm. Let's plan, let's meet at the roller rink. And then, but, but right before that is the is the big scene. I'll, I'll put a clip in of, the, of of this where, uh, 
Lace Lace makes reference to Dom that she has a present for him. What's the present? (laughs) She has his baby inside him, and she's very excited that they're going to be united as a couple. This is going to thing that like glues them together forever. And he's which is always a great way to reason to have a kid. Like, is you know she's young because she hasn't seen enough movies to know that like this is not this is not going to work the way you think, young lady. (laughs) Did you know any girls like that in high school? No, um, oh. no, uh, my, we, we, we had a relatively low teenage birth rate at both of my high schools. Fortunately, I had one class of three girls who were pregnant. Oh, wow. And one of them was like this. She was like, she named the kid after the guy after he left her. Oh, that and just breaks she was my like, heart. He'll come back now. Yeah. Like, honey, he, I feel bad because that kid's like 30 now. <laughs> so. He Good. might be listening to the podcast. Yeah. I won't say the names. Uh, but no, yeah. I mean, of course not. The more, the more I talk about my high school to other people, the more fucked up my high school sounds. But anyway. Where did you, uh, where did you grow up? What, 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 what state did you grow up in? Toledo, Ohio. Oh, okay. Huh. Um, I, I know some things about Ohio, uh, mostly from podcasters who are from there. Like Bob. Um, but Bob's from Ohio. Like, Bo- yeah. like, like Bo- yeah, Bob Mackey, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's, it's, Toledo's a great place to be from. Okay. I always tell my students here that Ohio is a great place to be from. Ohio has more astronauts than any other state because that's how bad people want to leave Ohio. <laughs> that's a really and good that's joke. All true. But anyway, not my joke. I stole that joke from somebody else. But anyway, um, I love the roller rink scene. I love the roller. This is the thing I was waiting for the entire time, and it was just as good as I remembered. With the added cherry on top being that I know where this roller rink is. This is yeah, roller rink in LA, yeah. many times in my life. It is next to my Home Depot. So if I have a Home <laughs> Depot repair project, I park across the street from the shootout roller rink from this movie. Moonlight Roller Disco is a great place. They have a gay night. Uh, I would recommend people check it out. They go to the, there's a special feature on the Blu-ray where they go to the roller rink and uh, the Jack Hill's like, yeah, it looks the same. Music's different though. And they're playing Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be a specific point in time that that would have been playing, wasn't it? No, this was like ten years ago. <laughs> oh, I would I would imagine like th- that band Rednecks. It was like that Swedish yeah. band that like repopularized that. That would no, that would have been about early two thousands when that happened. That would make sense, right? No, no, the, re- Cotton Eye Joe, the Rednecks version of Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, is maybe that is ninety five, and ninety five really, and they were in this roller rink in twenty twelve. That's that. That is unfortunate. <laughs> See, I only go. I, I only go on gay night, so um, I, I hear what they play on gay night, and the music's actually pretty decent. So I, I don't maybe think I'm getting the a- a- accurate flavor of this roller disco. No gays listen to rednecks. No, we're better than that. Yeah. Um. I also like in that scene. It's very very clear that the Dom cannot skate. Yeah. Uh, He's always have close ups because he's he's holding on to something for every. And he said this on the, in the, in, on the on the Blu-ray. He had to hold on to like a guide, and all the crew were laughing at him because he's a big tough guy who fucking can't roller skate. <laughs> roller skating's hard. You know what? I'm gonna give him a pass on this one. I am very bad at it and fall frequently, so um, I can see where this would be a very challenging scene for him to shoot. I've been on roller skates once in my entire life as an outing in my junior high school's honor society, and. Me and my friend Aaron roller skated directly to the Pit Fighter machine <laughs> and played Pit Fighter on roller skates for two hours. 
I can see knowing like your taste in movies and uh, uh, also Ben, I think I understand why you've been drawn to Pit Fighter. It's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a very attractive game. It is, you know, not my type, but you know, objectively speaking, sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> Dom is murdered. Uh, Lace goes, La- oh, Lace is notably kicked in the stomach, mm-hmm. which in movies always causes a miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they go to visit her in the hospital and she has a meltdown after everybody but Patch leaves. And then Patch pieces it together. Lace is a Lace is a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, Patch is not judgmental. So Patch is weirdly supportive of her her friend, I guess, her boss, even though she's done something unforgivable. Yeah, what does he and do? She hasn't she weaseled she 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 squealed on maggie's plan she told crabs what was happening and the idea was that crabs was going to take out maggie because she wants maggie dead and then crabs sort of double crossed her and maybe triple crossed her and took out dom instead and maggie's alive and her boyfriend's dead and now she's pissed yeah and patch is like you got to be cool yeah because patch still hates maggie right yeah so see see she's totally okay with all this if that means that maggie gets fucked up um, the Robbie Lee's performance, both of the speech she gives to when it's just Maggie Donut and Bunny visiting <gasps> them, it's a one version. She nails it, and then when she gives the second speech to Patch, she nails both of them. And there's a dimension to this character that I think she's doing a very good job with. And this is my this is my uh, 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 proactive response to anyone thinking that like she's maybe not doing a great job acting this part. I think she's doing a very good job. No, when I laugh at that one line, if you go, it's going to turn out bad. I laugh at it mostly because I'm wondering if he's talking about this life or the or that it is the baby. Oh, I didn't even think about that. It is like, it, it is ambiguous. Um, yeah, it really could be either one. Yeah, and it's kind of it's just a, it's a strange line, but I I like her delivery of the line, and I love her in this scene because she just goes off the fucking rails. She really does. Yeah, it's a very brave performance. So um, in this scene and some other scenes, I've noticed that a lot of times it's shot in a way that I think is very clever, where um, if we're going to take the Othello metaphor and Patch is Iago, um, Patch is often shown behind her shoulder. And so it's like she's whispering into uh, Lace's ear with all this like these poisonous words that like eventually make Lace make a very bad decision. And I think it's a very interesting staging that I think goes to is is a credit to Jack Hill. The weird thing about this is that like I know that Iago is a character from. Othello, but like I'm a child of the 90s, so I also think of Iago being the character from Aladdin who's a parrot. Yes, so, me too. But like parrots sit on people's shoulders and it works like it works for both. Where I'm like, yeah, she's sitting on Lace's shoulder because she's a parrot. And I was like, that's not the right Iago, but it still works for either one. <laughs> Good point. And I didn't think about that. And I think and I think you're right, and I think that was intentional. Yeah. I I think I, I think so too. I think if he knew he was making an Othello homage, that would have been something that he would want to wanted to include. Totally. So while Lace is in the hospital, Maggie kind of becomes a de facto leader, Mm -hmm. uh, even over the men. And that's when they decide to break free of the daggers uh, and stop being the dagger debs and become the Jezebels. And they kick all the men out of the gang. When that has the great line, not this time, Cripple Dick. (laughs) It also has the great line of when she's explaining to everyone where she found the name Jezebel. She was like, I was looking in the dictionary one day and just like (laughs) randomly looking randomly for words and found Jezebel. And I guess it worked out very well for her favor. But it's uh, maybe like it's like uh, 
I don't think of Maggie being that studious in the point she was just, I was just flipping through the dictionary like I do every day and I found this great word. Isn't it neat, everyone? Random dictionary definitions as group names. Number one, Jezebel's. Number two, R.E.M. Uh, <laughs> Is that true? That's, 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 yes, that's how they got the name. Uh, oh, interesting. Yes. I, didn't know I don't that. know why I know that because I don't like R.E.M. <laughs> I don't either. I'm glad. I, I, I knew I liked you. They're, they, they're a very boring band to listen to. Yes. Anyway, uh, so as the Jezebels, they're like, we need guns. We need support. Let's go find the black communists. Yep. I'm 100% behind this plan. Um, and that's when we meet Muff with a very unfortunate hat, hat. Like, I couldn't tell if that was a hat or a wig. It's the 70s. It's sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's hard to tell. You watch more 70s TV than me. Um so I like I like the the communists a lot. I mean, I usually do. <laughs> and th- they've taken over a police station, which is so badass. Like, <laughs> so, like their hideout is a police station. The cops have fled because they couldn't deal with the crime that they are now dealing with themselves. It's it's a great metaphor. It is the next. It is the day after the assault on Precinct Thirteen. <laughs> That's exactly it. And they have taken it over and they are armed to the teeth. You see a lot of like, not necessarily communists, but like obviously Black Panther inspired imagery in films like this. And that makes, I think, that makes sense. Yeah. This one's kind of taking it all the way to the communists, like to the point where they're reading Mao Zedong. In like, they're Stalinists. They're not even communists. Uh, I don't know if I can get behind that. <laughs> it's a bit too much. But I do like this. Uh, I like the. I think I think it might have been Bunny who says it. But like he's looking through the Mao Zedong literature and she's like, "Man, you guys are some heavy shit." She's impressed and like yeah. she seems to be very down with it very quickly, which I like. <laughs> yes, and then they get the guns and it's fucking go time. <laughs> and I think it's. I I think it's a great plan. The only flaw in this plan is that the plan is dependent on the fact that a bunch of black women are going to trust a bunch of white women right off the bat. And that is the one is the most unrealistic thing about the plan, because I think in any other case, they'd be like, we don't, we don't, we're not, we're not going to really do this. We don't, we think you're going to fuck us over, which probably would happen in the real life version of the story. But Maggie did date Muff's brother. Which is an interesting way to tell us that like, oh, Maggie is cool and progressive in a way that we hadn't realized so far. And that does give her a bit of, I guess, of some more trust. Right. Yeah. So there, there is that. Uh, I think the fight scene in this is the fight is some, very similar to a lot. Okay, I like Jack Hill. I don't think he's the best action choreographer. Because, like, the prison fight is just a bunch of people running in a room and hitting each other. True. This is just a bunch of people running around and shooting at each other. There's not a lot of uh, staging. There's not a lot of continuity. It's just, there's a food fight. <laughs> Can you explain, can you describe and then also explain what Lace's ear adornments are in this scene? She looks like uh, um, a cross between Princess Leia and the robot on the cover of Pinbot. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah I like that. Okay. Uh, I don't know what's going on now. <laughs> it's like tinfoil? It, like, it looks like, yeah, like she has like, I, I, I think they're supposed to be adornments but they look like they're made out of crumpled up tinfoil and i couldn't figure out they're not earmuffs no one's cold it's a very strange <laughs> it's a very, it's a very strange, strange part of this yeah yeah maybe it's how um patch can communicate with the psychically <laughs> that would make a lot of sense just poison out of the eye patch into the earmuffs that makes sense yes and then 
um, Maggie makes a point. They have to get crabs alive because she wants crabs to confess to who sold them out. So immediately, Patch and Lace kill crabs. <laughs> right, because they're not stupid. Well, they, well they, they, are, they are. They, they are stupid, but like they, they are, they are short sighted, and they're trying to not be stupid. Yeah, but they're, they're hiding it so poorly. Yeah, they should have killed Maggie. Yeah, I'm not clear why they didn't. I guess just for plot purposes, that can happen. So yeah, because there's no one. They ha- that she's the only witness. Right. They could have totally offed her, but instead they go back to the club and have a cake party. Where Donut finally gets praised for doing one thing right in the entire movie, and I'm happy for her. Hashtag Team Donut. And that's when then Lace and Patch try to convince the gang that Maggie set them up. And they're like, no. (laughs) But they use Donut. Poor donut. Yeah, poor, poor donut. I mean, they could have given her. Yeah, she she gets no dignity. She doesn't even get to stand up in this last moment. But no, she's like they made me do it. Uh, she, she's like the, she's like she, she's the little brother in Jaws who is also under the shark fin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then there's the fight. It's a well. That's probably the best best the well the most well choreographed fight in the film is the end fight. Yeah, it's it's pretty and tasteful and interesting, and I don't feel like we're being denied the conclusion of the fight. But um, the way it's done, I think, is like we don't need to see Lace get fatally stabbed. The it happening in silhouettes on the wall, I think, is like a elegant way to handle it. It's elegant. Well, we also because he didn't want to make it too bloody because they were going for a PG rating. Okay. <laughs> so two things. Two things. One, back then you can get away with a lot more of the PG. Right. Okay. I mean, my favorite example of that is uh, "Can't Stop the Music" has a dick in it. <laughs> it doesn't it's, really. Yes, it does. During the 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 Macho Man scene, there's a naked man in the shower. Uh, and two, uh, there's not a lot of violence. It's, it's violent, but there's not a lot of graphic sex, um, except for the one sexual assault. And like I have seen worse films get PG ratings back then but i guess i guess that makes sense apparently what was a nail in the coffin was the drugs they, which is so weird because they could have eliminated the use of drugs on screen i guess they can't really they would have to reshoot the scene with the principal but like it, it, yeah. it, it, that seems like a solvable problem to me but what do i know but that's what that's probably why they showed the stabbing off camera because i've seen you know i've seen his prison films he is uh hill is not not does not shy from graphic violence right so I think it was an active choice to censor himself that didn't work. But Maggie is the, Maggie kills Lace. The cops come. They arrest everybody. Maggie gives an amazing speech. Um, the end. The end. <laughs> the end. I, I get their lives are over, and I guess uh, they importantly, when the cops come to arrest them, they all identify willingly as Jezebels. And when Patch tries to identify, they're like, "We don't know her." It's a mirror image to the first scene when Maggie's the outsider confronted by the gang, and I guess Patch just goes back to school. I don't. I I can't <laughs> imagine what she's going to do with her life. Like no one likes her. She lost everyone that's important to her, and I guess she's just going to try to graduate on time. I don't. I don't. Well, I don't we I don't we know all know Patch goes to politics. That would make sense. I mean, Patch she's good a, at it. Patch gets a glass eye. Okay, let mm. me out. Patch gets a glass eye. She um, renamed herself as what is that crazy lady in, in Congress? 
You have to be more specific. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay. That yes. one. Oh, the, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So that, that's what happened. That's what happened. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is lying about her age and she's a fictional character. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me, yes. Uh, I, I love this speech at the end. And I love how the, the symbolicness of Patch is not one of us. I just hope that Donut gets a soft sentence, gets yeah. out, and I don't know, like opens a nice restaurant or a craft store or just moves to another town where her name isn't Donut and there's she just be called like Sandy or Lisa or whatever. Settles down with a nice skinny girl. Yeah, yeah, something nice for her. Yeah, because Donut Donut deserves better. You know, That's so. Fine. One of the things I was looking at in this movie is uh, the fact that Robbie Lee is top build over Joanne Nail. And I'm like, I guess I kind of get it because the movie starts out with Robbie Lee. And then at the end of the movie, we're left with like Joanne Nail is clearly the main character now. Yeah. But um, during the scene, in this scene, when they fight, right before they fight, there's a scene where they're both kind of lit from behind and you see both of them. And Joanne Nail has popular girl hair. She has great blonde. She has like Lisa Welchel hair and it's all smooth and laying in place. And Robbie Lee is just like nothing but flyaways. Like her entire hairstyle is flyaways. And if I were Robbie Lee, I'd be like, can I have hair like her? Like, can you do whatever you're doing to her hair to my hair? Because her hair looks great and my hair does not. And this is why I think that Joanne Nail is actually the true lead of the movie because she's getting better cosmetics than Robbie Lee is. You know, Drew, I was going to I said earlier that this will not be the guest episode of the podcast because I talked about an Esther Williams film, but you're a gay man who just talked about hair for a minute. <laughs> so, I don't even have any hair and I noticed this. I, I'm not a hair gay. <laughs> I can't. I'm, too, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not fashionable. I'm too tall. I'm too big. I'm six and a half feet tall. Uh, that, is, that, that is taller than most gays are. <laughs> and so I don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the right to be fashionable. I buy what fits. That's and fair. I think that extends the hair. Although I do anyway. But um I you're right, for sure. Uh speaking of gay shit, do you, does this movie have any gay following from among men? I don't think so because I've there was a point where I showed it to most of my boyfriends and like they always didn't like it. And I was like, all right, we're not gonna do this anymore. So the gays I've showed it to apparently don't like it. I don't know why they wouldn't, because I am a gay man whose favorite version of media is women in crisis and um, I like any sort of genre thing where you have a bunch of female characters and you get their personalities developing with how they react to crisis is like gay luxury to me. And I feel like more gay people need to try this one out because I don't think it has the following. It deserves it, though. How many Douglas Sirk films do you own? Um, I never said obsession. Magnificent Obsession okay. I think, is the only one I actually own. <laughs> okay. Uh, which, okay. Which, which I would, because I think it's hilarious. But uh, again, that's not a movie that everyone's been able to no. uh, get on board with me about. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I do know that this movie, according to, to the director, this movie has a lesbian following. Makes and sense. it was sold like by Monterey Home Video, distributed it as a gay picture, like in, in the, the catalogs. It's a gay movie. And it makes yeah. sense. And as I've made this joke multiple times, I am very bad at guessing what lesbians are into unless it's Melissa Etheridge. So uh, my mom and her, my mom and her best friend went to Melissa Etheridge's concert in the nineties and they were the only straight woman there. Right. I can see that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, that's, that's why I make that joke. Um, but I don't, so I don't know. And, and, and my, my, I have a few lesbian friends here, but they are way too classy for this shit. So I am not going to show it to them. 
there's a contingent of movie lesbians in Los Angeles that I think would have a hoot and a holler watching this in a group screening. So maybe I'll try to float that out into the world. Yeah, if, I, I don't know any who like like the lesbians I like all like like um yaoi, you know, like Japanese boy love manga. So they're not going to yeah. be down with. Definitely not that. No overlap. Zero overlap. No, so. not at all. But even if you're not a lesbian, I recommend this film. <laughs> There's a character named Muff, and she hates men, so that, that that's, yeah. that's something, right? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> you're right. So, on my uh, Cinema Oblivia ranked list, uh, I have, it, this was a hard one, because, like, it's an actual good movie. Um. And nothing about it's ironic. So I really had to rank it above something like Revenge of the Ninja, even though I might watch those more. So I ranked this 15 on my list, which means it is between Car Wash and Psycho 2. And I feel pretty good about that. Which would be a hell, which would be a hell of a triple feature. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. It is very close on the list. Uh, Class of 84 is 13. And I think those two together would be good. Agree. Uh, youth, youth gone wild. Uh, the cops can't do anything. Movies. So, uh, but yeah, it's a great movie, uh, Drew. I'm very happy you recommended it. Uh, thank I, you I'm so very much. happy to talk to someone who um, gets why it is not just something to like, but it's something that you can like unironically. This is this is this is not a mm. movie I I have like ironic feelings towards. I just think it's good. Yeah, I've owned it like three times. So <laughs> there, there so. you go. So yeah, it's 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 a great movie. You also watch it, and it's on Amazon right now. So you go check it out. But I think that'll end, that'll do it for today's episode. Uh, Drew, you've already mentioned it, but in case people have forgotten, where can they find you online? I'm on Twitter at Drew G Mackie M A C K I E. Still on Twitter, apparently. And then my podcast is Gayest Episode Ever. It is gay episodes of class, gay, LGBTQ episodes of Classic Sitcoms. GayestEpisodeEver.com. And then um, I think uh, you particularly might get a kick out of Deep Cuts and Superficial Wounds.com, which is my music podcast. And I have a new episode that I swear I'll get as soon as I'm done recording a bunch of other episodes. Yeah, I understand. I understand all that is. And as always, you can find me on everything as Lost Turntable. And the Twitter, my semi-dead YouTube channel, all that stuff. And uh, I should be back. I'm going to say that I'm back to normal with this podcast. Yes, I'm holding on to that. So we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. God willing. So, uh, Drew, again, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. And uh, everybody who's listening, I'll be back again in two weeks. Until then, take care.